Welcome to Refocus. I'm your host, Trevor Wilson. This is a podcast of Sunday school lessons that I've taught, some sermons that I have preached. Uh, I have various guests at different times. Uh, Basically, the, the whole idea is to just kind of refocus back on the Word of God, going back to those Bible stories, studying the scriptures. Let's just, just kind of get out of ourselves, out of our own thinking, and go back to the Word of God and see what He has to say. I love those old Sunday school lessons when we were kids. We seem to have gotten away from some of those, just the bare bones bottom of what the Word of God, the meat and potatoes, if you will. So I hope you enjoy it and pass along and share. Now, let's get to the lesson. Hello again, Steve Wilson back here, continuing our study through the book of uh, Matthew. We are now embarking upon chapter 23. Uh, good stuff in here. I was just looking it over before the, uh, the podcast, just to kind of get a few ideas in my head and kind of see where we're going with this, so I'm kind of anxious to get into it a little bit. Some really good stuff, so, um, you know, follow along, pay some attention. I think there's some great things to learn. Jesus begins speaking. He says, then spake Jesus, in verse 1, to the multitudes and uh, and to his disciples. Um, it, it, it's interesting that, you know, he... he introduces this whole section by pointing out who Jesus is speaking to. You know, I've probably mentioned this before, but I've always been taught that anytime you want to interpret Scripture, you look at um, who's doing the speaking, who they're speaking to, and what they're talking, what they're speaking about. So Jesus clarifies who's doing the speaking and who he's speaking to because there are so many places in Scripture, who he's speaking to makes a huge difference um, as to how you interpret what you're about to read. So in this case, um, you know, for instance, you know, the, the Sermon on the Mount was directed to just his, the twelve. He had pulled them aside and take, took them into the mount and began to speak to them, and, and so that was directed specifically to uh, his church, you know, the, the first church his disciples, and so that's the context in which it should be interpreted. So in this case, he's talking to everybody. As you know, um, a lot of people followed Jesus around. He drew great crowds, uh, and so he had, of course, those who were very dear to him. The twelve traveled with him. There were, of course, people who had been converted and recognized that he was indeed the Savior. They were following him around, um, and then were, there were just... Um, those who might be interested, those who were seeking. Uh, there were even, obviously, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees and so on who would follow him around from time to time and looking for opportunities to trip him up or to entrap him, um, looking for something they could use against him. So you get all kinds here. So everybody is here, and uh, he's, he's, he's speaking to the multitude. This is something that the whole world needs to hear, and so he begins to speak to them. Um, and he does so then, beginning in verse 2, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Now bear in mind, we've been talking about how Jesus has begun during this Passion Week alienating those who are in power, 
and um, you know usurping some of their uh, authority by the things that he says, calling into question many of the things that that they do, and he's about to do the same thing here. Um, and he begins, of course, by pointing out the scribes and the Pharisees. And he didn't mention the Sadducees particularly, but any, you know, this is, like I said, to the multitudes. And he's talking about those who oppose him in this particular situation. Uh, but it's the scribes and the Pharisees who do the bulk of the teaching and, um, you know, the interpreting scripture and that sort of thing. So as he speaks to the people, he says, um, these scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. They're in positions of authority. You put them up there, um, and you know their job is to uh, to share God's word and to teach and to train. And you know your job is to listen. And so here's what he says about that. He says, "All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do." But do not ye after their works, for they say, and do not. He's not particularly calling him a hypocrite in this situation, although Jesus has never shied away from doing that, but he's describing what a hypocrite is. So everybody is clearly understanding what's going on here. He says, these people are giving you instruction. They're instructing you from the Word of God. And that's all well and good. And what they're saying is accurate. Those are the things you need to adhere to. And I mean, that's, that, that's our lesson in life. Um, no matter what we see or what we do, who we respect, who the great people are, examples of Christ and so on, or people who propose to be examples of Christ, it's not our job to follow them. It's our job to follow Scripture. Anything that's done that doesn't coincide with Scripture is moot. It's not It's not applicable. And there's a lot of people out there today who are saying and doing things that simply do not coincide with Scripture. So Scripture, of course, is our, our, our measuring tool. We gauge everything by what the Bible says. <laughs> now, I could go off on a real tangent here talking about Bible translations and all that because my belief is that they're, you know, they're of the devil. Uh, Satan brought them in to confuse mankind. He is the author of confusion. Uh, but I'm not going to get into it, at least not at this point right here, other than to say, bear in mind that Satan is going to use Scripture like he did when he tried to tempt Jesus Christ. I mean, he, he's good with Scripture. Um, he's going to use it to try and um, and lead us astray if possible. So you, you got to settle on which Scripture you're going to adhere to. It's not good to use multiple versions because they contradict. Simple as that. I, I haven't seen one yet that doesn't at some point contradict or at least change and reinterpret um, many of the things that the King James says. And so, you know, I'm settled on that. I've been settled on that most of my life, and I'm encouraging you to be settled on that, because if you don't, you're just simply going to be unsettled. You're going to constantly be calling Scripture into question one way or another. If you can question one, you can question another, and, and if you question more than one, then you're questioning all of them. Anyway, 
All right, so I, I didn't mean to get off on a tangent, but I did it anyway, so there you go. But I'll stop there and get back to the point. The point is, obey Scripture. Everything should, that's our standard. Everything that happens, everything we believe, everything we follow, everything we adopt, no matter what we do, we need to make sure that what we hear, what we see, what we follow, everything coincides with what Scripture instructs us to do. And so he's saying these men are telling you to do one thing, and yet they're doing another. So he's calling them hypocrites and, and not actually using the word. So, you know, we understand that that's what a hypocrite is. You say one thing and you do another. So it begins to describe them. Verse 4 says, For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. In other words, they won't lift a finger to um, obey the things that they're telling you to do. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're instructing people to do one thing that they're not willing to do themselves. They won't apply these things to their own lives. They, they try to, you know, there are so many laws um, in, in uh, the Jewish culture that I, I'm not, I, I don't remember exactly what the, the total count is. But out of the Ten Commandments, you know, they came up with um, multiplied laws. You know, they grew exponentially um, based on what the leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, and so on, decided should be as a result of what they had read. So they kept adding two. And so, so many of these laws were impossible to keep. Um, so much so that they obviously didn't want to do it themselves. They just wanted others to do it. That was kind of their, their plan, just to make other people follow their commands. And you'll kind of see the picture that's, that's drawn here as we go on through this, that they're setting themselves up in positions of power beyond the power that they're supposed to have based you know, on their position. Um, and so they can control others uh, because they're, they're trying to get people to look to them and depend upon them as, uh, you know, as the ultimate source of enforcement and the ultimate source of interpretation. They're little gods, in other words. So they, they increase these laws, interpret these laws to suit their own fancy, and then expect everybody else to adhere to them and then exempt themselves. It kind of sounds like our Congress today. You know, they, they expect all of us to obey the tax laws and then, and then set it up where they don't have to pay tax. Um, we have to depend upon somebody else to determine our salaries and our, our workload and all that stuff. And, and then they set their own for themselves. Uh, health care, you know, they, they expect us to adhere to a public health care, and they have their own private health care that the government takes care of, which is totally different from what you and I have. They, they don't subject themselves to the same laws and rules and standards that you and I live by every day. So that's what's happening here. It's, you know, there's, there's nothing new under the sun, folks. Um, what's happening today has been happening forever, you know, throughout time. And this is a perfect example of it. Now, verse 5, But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. Now, I'm sure a lot of people out there are not aware of what a phylactery is. 
A phylactery was a little, usually a leather box, calf skin, something like that. Um, and they would wear it on their left arm and on special days and, and whatnot on their foreheads. And inside that little box were scriptures from the Torah. And um, the idea behind it was, you know, because it was worn on the left arm and or on the forehead, um, you know, in, in scripture, the left and the right are different, right? always uh, represents privilege, power, that sort of thing, whereas the left represents the world, represents evil. So, you know, they put these scriptures on their left arms to protect themselves against the evils of the world. You know, it was kind of a barrier uh, between them and Satan. That was at least the symbolism of, of it. And then, of course, on the forehead, you know, God tells us in De Deuteronomy to put his law on the frontlets of our eyelids. Well, you can't very well put a little leather box on the inside of the frontlets of your eyes. Put it on your forehead so it's right there where, you know, it can be seen even in your peripheral vision. You'll see that thing. So anyway, they would take these, what they and they called them phylacteries, and decorate them and sometimes make them a little oversized and so on because they wanted people, they wanted to be sure that people saw how religious they were and how protective they were against uh, against the evils of the world. Um, so it was a way of drawing uh, attention to themselves. And you look at me, I'm really, I'm, I'm really pious. I'm really religious. So it was just one of the ways that they kind of showed themselves. And love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues. They liked being in positions of privilege. They, they, they wanted to be the, the favored ones. They wanted to be, obviously, the ones that everybody looked to and said, oh, they're important. I'm not, but they are. That sort of thing. And greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Of course, the marketplace was kind of the, the, the center of activity for everybody in those days. They didn't have social media and, all, and you know, email and all the kind of things that we do. Telephones, obviously, that sort of thing, radio, telegraph, whatever. They didn't have all that for communication. Everybody just gathered in the marketplace and that's where all the business was done, face to face. Um, and so, um, you know, they liked to be the one that everybody sought out. Um, and, you know, if you wanted to learn something, that's who you went to. Oh, Rabbi, Rabbi, teach me something. That was what they enjoyed. They liked that attention. Of course, you know, then, uh, you know, Jesus says, But be ye not called Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ. And all ye are brethren. And call no man your father. Um... For one is your Father, which is in heaven. Now, I'm running out of time here. I only have time to really get into this. But, of course, the, the, um, what comes to my mind immediately is the Catholic religion where the priests are referred to as Father, which is in direct violation of what Scripture says here. They're being given recognition that they really don't deserve that's something of man. It's a, it's a pharisaical type approach to religion. That's what the Pharisees like to do. And, you, you know, people today will use 
religion to draw attention to themselves. And so I think that's what we see happening today. So, you know, we'll try to wrap this up and continue on as, as we go through this in our next session. But we're out of time now. Hope you got something out of it. God bless. We'll see you next time.